Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the podcast, It Should Go Without Saying. I'm your host, Andrew Lewis, and we have a special record. If not, you're obviously listening to this whenever you want to be listening to, but it's a special late night homage to a man who was probably before his time at being born for podcasting, a late night post-match, post-Port Adelaide Western Bulldogs, mid-season edition of it, of the podcast that you go that saying that's too many nouns joining me as always when we talk footy is our resident afl expert cameron mcdonald how are you doing cameron hey Pana, how are you going i am well the the man we're paying tribute tonight is mark fine of finey's final siren um i'll be honest i didn't listen to a lot of him before i moved up to ballarat but he became a sort of a tradition whenever we were driving back from a friday night game or a Sunday twilight game. And my mum was always disappointed when it was a Saturday night game. And I had to remind her for the 14th time, no, funny doesn't work Saturdays. <laughs> um, and of course, uh, funny is the uncle of one of my good mates, Daniel Faber. So if you're listening, Fabes, uh, shout out to you. He actually got Mark Fine down to do the reserves umpiring at Bruns at Elstonwick one day. So that, that was, that was, well received, so massive, we'll, yeah. we will we will get into uh, the review of the review of Port Adelaide and the Western Bulldogs in a moment. But first, a break, and then no, that that's my Mark Fine impression. Just that, that bit. <laughs> I, had, I used to have a love hate relationship with Finey. There were times when, if you wanted to hear about sport, you had to listen to him, and he he sort of he did have a gift for like, um. I don't know, piquing the interest of some real interesting sections of our community. So the talk back, you'd often just sort of go, why are we still talking to this bloke? But um, More than anyone, Finey would be interested in keeping someone like that talking, which I think was an, an interesting, almost public service that he performed as opposed to sometimes you feel sorry for people who are stuck on the late night talk back because they'll get, they can't really screen their calls. They've probably got one light flashing. So... Um, Mark Mark would spend time with some of these others and ask them questions and try and get them to talk for a little bit longer. So I he can, would. There was a there was a guy from down the mornings in Peninsula who backed for North Melbourne, who I think Mark was pretty good friends with. Um, the Scottish guy who backed for Hawthorne certainly sticks in my memory. <laughs> I mean, you won't. I, I'm I'm not listening to SE at the moment, but I imagine that if he if he was still around and still calling the talk back, he'd be you know defending Alistair Clarkson to the hilt. They'd have him on every night, <laughs> every night right now, Finey, and he'd be in his absolute element. And you'd like the great thing about Finey was as well that, like, he was the type of bloke who I reckon just said yes to every shift he was offered at SEN for like a good chunk of time there. So you'd have him there doing the graveyards and Finey's final siren, and then coming in to do a Sunday morning program because someone was on holidays and and this and that. And like, yeah, like he, the- he just said yes a lot. The Sunday mornings with Robert Shaw was very good radio. I have to say, I'm very good footy, you know, hardcore footy radio and footy analysis, which was, you know, there's that's it's getting fit on the ground. So I think when that show disappeared, that was a shame. Um, Definitely, yeah. Hutchie's got a lot to answer for down there, especially especially to those hardcore fans that call in through the night. But finally, it'd be on every night at the moment because we're in the thick of the festival of football. Oh, the thick of it. We're we're, we're through nine rounds, we had the first night of uh, what is a seven-game round ten 
tonight, a round that involves no games falling on a Saturday or Sunday. We'll be over to round 11 by Saturday. Um, tonight, Port Adelaide beat the Bulldogs. And to make this, to give this the full flavour of a, of a post-match review, uh, the final score was Port Adelaide 8 goals, 7.55. The Western Bulldogs 5 goals, 12.42. Uh, 28 disposals to Jackson McRae, 25 to Liberatore, 24 to Butters, 23 to Rockliffe. And the leading goal kickers for Port Adelaide, two goals to Robbie Gray and Charlie Dixon. And for the Bulldogs, two goals to Toby McLean and Sam Lloyd. Initial thoughts about that game of football, Cameron. I It was, it was another one of those momentum swing games. Definitely was, you know. Uh, I was I was kind of worried uh, early for um, the dogs because they they were dominant and the and the callers were sort of telling you how dominant they'd been but it, it wasn't showing on the scoreboard um, and for all their possession around the middle of the ground and guys like McRae and, and Liberatore getting their hands on it plenty uh, there's just a breakdown around half forward and um, perhaps you can talk to. Um, the, the the current day version of, is struggling to be the number one guy with the exception of I think one or two games this year he's he's really struggled um and so you know a, a fairly typical night in some respects that the dogs have only been able to put five goals on the scoreboard um and it also I guess speaks to Port Adelaide behind the, some of the structuring that um you know the the small tinkering tinkerings they've made to their game this year under Ken Hinckley, they're clearly a much improved side. Both of us weren't sure about them um, in uh, in preseason chats. And look, I'm still not 100% sold, but they've done a lot right. And um, yeah, look, they 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 held and they held, and then they started getting their hands on the ball in the second half, and it was all she wrote. Well, they've done. They won the games that they've. I mean, they've performed. As they have, as they have had to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to say they've won the games that have been presented to them. They've lost to Brisbane at the Gabba, and they've lost to St Kilda in Adelaide. Just to put that into perspective, between in terms of ability to put a score on the board, uh, the Bulldogs had 17 scoring shots tonight. St Kilda two weeks ago had 13. So. The cliche is a cliche for a reason. Good kicking is good football. Um, there is something to be said about quality of shots, and you can get deeper into the analysis of that. Um, the Bulldogs have had forward line issues, you know, for some time. Um, it feels like they haven't had a long-term reliable key forward since Simon Beasley. Um, it's not quite that long. Obviously, they've had Chris Grant, uh, but Barry Hall. Oh, Barry Hall for, for, for a short but effective period. Again, I mean, we're trying to fill a gap. Um, it's, been, it's been a long time since they had a, you know, I mean, Chris Grant was there. He was the last one who was sort of drafted and developed by the Bulldogs. Um, I don't think they saw Tom Boyd's career ending as quickly as it did. I mean, no. nobody nobody saw that happening and a... a um, nigh on to best on ground performance in a premiership year uh, indicated that um, we were about to watch the rise and rise of Tom. There's, there's a bit of a Tom Boyd size hole. In- 
I mean, that's fair enough. And they've got Shaggy, who's not playing at the moment, I think, because he's injured. Um, I had Boyd best on in that grand final. I thought he was clearly the most influential player on the ground. Um, Bruce would be playing better if there was another target. And, you know, his best football wasn't, it was in a, was in a, interrupted season for Nick Rewell in 2015, but it was for a season where Nick Rewell was there for 16, 15 or 16 games of the year and was the target. Um, I think in that season, there was also a bit of Paddy McCartan at times. There was a bit of Tom Hickey as a forward at times. So, and he's had other serviceable seasons, but he's never played and never really succeeded being asked to, to do what he's being asked to do, certainly tonight. Uh, which is, you know, play with no other key forward. Um, he needs to be the guy that gets a free jump at the contest. So mm. someone to be, you know, someone to be at the drop of the ball helps Josh Bruce a heap. He's not that guy. Um, and so I think to make him effective in this team, they've got to they've got to make some moves and get some other dangerous players playing in their forward line. Maybe Bont has to spend a little bit more time forward since they've got this. Um, they've got a weight of pretty good midfielders. They've got um, Smith now, who's kind of very consistent as a second-year player, and McRae and Libertore's in there. Dunkley's back in tonight. He should, you know, he should have an impact there as well, and got plenty of the footy tonight. So, you know, maybe you can afford to throw Bont and Pelly forward where he's shown um, the ability to take a catch and. Um, kick a goal at crucial moments as well, um, you know, to make back lines sort of think about it because arguably their best forward at the moment is um, is Mitch Wallace, uh, you know, who the I mean, commentators singled out tonight. But he's a great competitor. He's going to win a lot of one-on-ones. But the idea that you could isolate a guy who's not particularly quick in your forward line uh, to find I mean, enough goals. Not in this day and age. You know, I, I, football's changed a lot since the Bulldogs succeeded with it, with Brad Johnson playing out of a goal square. You, I don't think he, well, I'm not suggesting for a moment Mitch Wallace is Brad Johnson, but um, I think Brad had struggled in today's game with the, the way defence is set up. I think Josh Bruce would benefit, obviously, from having another target in there. I think he'd benefit from being able to hit up more often and run at the ball and work himself into a lather. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of sit there, wait, get you know, wait for the contact from behind, try and get it to ground. Yeah, and ugly ball. It's you know, I've never been a key forward, but I can't imagine it's terribly good. I'm not just for your confidence, but also for your enjoyment of playing footy as a key forward. You want to be able to, you know, run at the ball and try and take a grab and yes, I know key forwards now more than ever have to suffer the lack of space, but at least you know, at least you you know I think in previous years he's ha- he's had times where he's had the opportunity to get up on the wings, uh, work his defender over, get some ball that way, and th- and then even if that doesn't work, then you know track back and and run back if the ball goes back over his head, and that just didn't. He, he, there was a lot of standstill, get the ball plopped on the airhead, and like, you know it doesn't look like fun. So the example is on the other side of the ball, where I mean they're different players, but. Charlie Dixon was very frustrated in the first half, and this is a guy who um, has has been one of the premier key forwards in the comp this year and is thriving uh, under this playing style. Charlie Dixon um, 
monstered the second half of that contest. Got to some really good balls at the wing and took some contested marks. Kicked a couple, kicked his couple of goals in succession in the third quarter as Port sort of drove away. And a couple of his grabs were had to be seen to be believed. He's become a real contested beast. You know, Josh Bruce is not going to do that. But you, you wouldn't mind seeing him kind of will himself into the game as well if that's the role that he has to play. It, uh, I, I'm sure the Bulldogs would, would like him to sort of be absolutely bodying the ball and um, getting a few extra balls to ground. I think they'd probably like him to just maybe be a little angrier. And Charlie Dixon's a pretty angry guy, by. I think it's just, I mean, he's, he's that type of combative footballer. So, um, yeah, I mean, Dixon was very good tonight. Um, Port Adelaide had 21 contested marks. Um, I don't know if that says more about, again, seems like when the Bulldogs won the premiership four years ago, they had managed to collect a pretty decent emerging key defender group. And they're all gone. And they were all gone really quickly, and they were young when they won the premiership. And that is, they had Fletcher Roberts, Joel Hamling, and Marcus, uh, I forget his last name, but he, is it, he's Harris? at the No, he's at Brisbane. He went to Brisbane. Yeah. Uh, what is um, he was a bit older, but um, <clears throat> they're all somewhere else. They're all out of footy, or Hamling's at Fremantle. Um and they've got a whole new set. Now they've got Zane Cordy playing down there who's undersized. They've got Alex Keith down there who was probably, you know, it's probably Adelaide's good bit of business last, you know, last season. You know, he, he's probably better than what Adelaide has, but he's not as good as what Adelaide got for him. Um, and, you know, the Dixon seemed particularly up to give Alex Keith a bit of a football lesson. Um Again, Adelaide. he's not your number one guy, though. Like, mm. they, they've recruited guys that are, you know, like Keith was not playing really key defence at that no, footy club. And Adelaide... He's playing next to Talia and Hardigan. And, you know, he's got, you know, Talia is your number one defender, key defender in that setup at Adelaide. So he's not, he's getting the best forward. And then Keith's getting your next best, your second or third best. So, yeah, absolutely. These are their number twos that, that they've paid. Somewhere between number one and number two for in a trade, you know, in terms of the value, and then having and then asking them to to be the key spot. And I mean, there'll be two teams played tonight who I don't entirely trust. Not that you, you're trusting anyone at this stage, but you'd re- you reckon West Coast in Perth are pretty trustworthy. Um, despite their losses in the finals last year, Brisbane and Brisbane are pretty trustworthy. And uh, and we'll get to the third club in a little bit, but I, I mean Port Adelaide are going to play finals. They've got eight wins. They you know they might be able to get in with one more. They might get in with two more. They're going to win another couple of games. So, um, as you say, they've done everything right, and they they hmm. deserve to be where they are. Yeah, uh, they they had the benefit of of some nice soft games early, and to to sneak out to that. Sort of three and zero, or wherever they were sitting, um, early doors with a couple of crushing victories, uh, having the showdown nice and early in the year, and um, rubbing salt into Adelaide's wounds, and uh, yeah, so that, like they have, they've set themselves up really beautifully. And I was going to ask the question, you know, who who of their players do you trust week in week out? And like beyond Travis Boak, who I would say is the is the go to kind of um, 
a guy who just turns up and does the same thing every week. Um, beyond that, you know, there's a, there's a group of guys who might be becoming more trustworthy in front of our very eyes. Um, you know, uh, the, the next wave, their, their new captain, Tommy Jonas, uh, Ollie Wines, who we thought was going to be that player, does he come back and become that player now? Dan Houston, is he a trustworthy guy? And, um, you know, they, they, they've had some flaky guys over the journey and, um, and, and that's why neither of us uh, really trust them or are willing to go with them as a genuine premiership threat at this stage. Um, but, you know, it, it only takes a year sometimes. Mm. Um, it's just funny to say about a team that has Robbie Gray in it, but their, their, their problem might be right at the top end that they don't have, you know, one or two complete superstars. And, you know, Robbie Gray is a very, 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 very good footballer. Um, it's good to see Bokes having a good year after, a, I think, a down year last year. To, tonight, Rockliffe's had a really good game. He's had 15 tackles. He's, he's got involved. And, I mean, he's just going to – Rockliffe's just going to – he's just going to get into his work, really. I mean, you, you know what you're going to get. It's it's an effort game from from Rockliffe. Yeah, the rest of their team is young, but if they can get what they got tonight out of uh, out of Dixon, um, you know, Butters has had a lot of the ball tonight. They don't they're the guys. That. That's that's it. Their superstar class is that next wave. Yeah, they, don't they told that. us how good they drafted last year. That that you know how good Connor Rosie, how good mm. um, uh, Butters and Dersma were, and they they all have taken another step in the sort of difficult second year uh, to to show us that there's genuine there's a superstar class that's coming. Will they get there in time for September this year? Um, but yeah, there, there's certainly there's enough to like moving forward. I think I think their I think their uh, their barometer slash wildcard is Dixon because you know you have a big key forward who runs into form going into finals and, st- and clunks marks in finals. Look, we know. There's going to be a different dynamic to finals this season because of the lead-in and because of where all the finals are going to be played. So, you know, Geelong should be doing cartwheels. They're not going to be playing finals at the MCG. But <laughs> um, it's still going to be contested footy. It's still going to be if you can if, you, if your key forwards can take marks and kick goals, contested marks and kick goals, and you can get that system, what, I, what I've called for a long time, system goals, Um it just holds you in great stead. And especially this year, it's so easy to go through a, and this seems to be happening a lot this season and it happened to the Bulldogs today. It seems like teams are going through extended patches, uh, you know, more than, you know, most of a half of footy during a period of game without kicking a goal. Um, if you can just get that one set of clearance and get it out of there uh, and get a contested market, a shot goal like that, I think it makes a huge difference. Um, and Port Adelaide still have. I mean, Laddams is doing a good job uh, in the ruck. So he's had 32 hitouts today. English has had 26. Um, and, you know, they're different types. So contrasting styles, which is interesting that, that, that's, that when that happens in the ruck, when you've got the more the pure tap ruckman going up against the around the ground, get my own clearance maybe drop forward, kick a goal type ruckman that Laddams looks like. And he kicked a goal tonight too, so. I think our last podcast, we we took a little swing at um, Tim English, who uh, 
you know, Brody Grundy has a habit of getting a hold of. And so I think I was, I was sort of quick to talk to the kind of hype surrounding the kid um, versus the output, um, you know, week on week. I've since seen that I've seen what they're all talking about. There's a lovely clean pair of hands on the boy and, um, you know, there's, there's skills for a big fella too. So uh, while he fills out, I think there was a game a little while back uh, against Essendon um, who granted don't really have a Ruckman to call their own, but he was superb that night taking marks behind the ball at will. Um so I think he'll I think he'll get there now, um, and it, it's it's sort of it's a credit to him that he, he can take a bath uh, every now and again and still front up the following week. And good on Bevo for giving him a crack in the number one spot. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think I think the consistency isn't quite there yet, and unfortunately, I think, and you saw it tonight when when he was. The dominant ruckman on the ground. The Bulldogs looked really good. They got had a lot of clearances. Certainly not his fault that they weren't able to, as uh, David King so eloquently put in the broadcast night, catch it and kick it in the forward line. Um, but when uh, Lanham started getting, uh, you know, Lanham started getting on top of him at certain stages, and that's when Port Adelaide had the best of it. And um, you know, I've certainly seen in a few games this year when it just seems like. Whoever is in, whoever is dominating the ruck at any certain period of time, that's the way the game goes. Um, I don't know if that's more pronounced this year or less. So, well, again, like you just see, you see that center square clearance um, and momentum swings exist because there's that that little window of time where six six um, six, six six can actually take effect, mm. and. Uh, I don't know how much of the West Coast Geelong game you saw the other night. I, I didn't see any of it. Ah, uh, it's a shame. It's, it's almost worth. Um, what was the name a game? Yeah, go, contact that VHS <laughs> name a game um, about that one because uh, you know, and, and even to hear um, Chris Scott and his um, post game press conference speak to Nat Nui's centre clearance dominance. Uh, that's one of the. That's one of the better low possession games you will ever see. He just, he had it on a string for that West Coast midfield as, as the game progressed. And Geelong, who who had made a terrific fist of a game against like the hottest side in the comp, uh, were, were overpowered ultimately by the Ruckman. And, and th- there was just nothing they could do. So uh, Geelong went into that game with Blixards and Radigalia as the Ruckman and, yeah, Nat and Louis had feasted on Grundy the week before. Mm. You know, in 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 arguably the 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 most complete team performance of the year. Uh, you know that that led to Buckley uh, calling us the Washington Generals. Um, Nat Nui had had you know made Grundy look very tired very quickly, and Oscar Allen was jumping into Grundy as well. His his worst performance for the club for a long time, and. Um, yeah, so you know, Natanui is doing it to all sorts, but there's he's he's got this ability to tap at three sixty degrees, um, and to somehow know exactly what his midfielders are going to be doing, and 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 he can make them look very good. You know, I think Tim Kelly's starting to look like a a weapon for West Coast. I know we've changed the subject, but it's uh, it's sort of in reference to that uh, ability to 
you know, to turn one goal into three really quickly and to, um, in, in, a, in a game with shorter quarters, you know, it, it is tough to halt that centre square momentum. Don't, don't worry about changing the subject because I'm about to do it again. But um, West Coast, they, yeah, I mean, they, that new image to do it. They managed to do it without that really big bodied midfielder. They don't have a, they don't have a Fife Martin Bond, that type, sort of. I mean, Melbourne have one now. Um, sort of, we're winning this game. Just hop on my back. That that type. They do have very very good midfielders. Don't get me wrong, but they just don't appear to have that type. Their, their best midfielders are smaller. Um, so, Nick Nat giving them silver service does make things interesting uh, for the rest of the competition. Having said that. Um, at some stage, West Coast are going to have to play three or four games away from Perth again, and yeah. and then it be then it becomes interesting again. And you know, they they wanted no bit of the first few weeks of the season. Um, after after the restart, um, so you mentioned Grundy there in your analysis of Nick Nat over the last two weeks. Um, Collingwood have done the doomsday double. They've lost to West Coast and, and Fremantle in, in the last two weeks. Now they get to leave Perth, hopefully, as far as they're concerned, not to return this season. Yeah. Um, what's going on at Collingwood? What's it, I've heard some, read some analysis that they, they can't seem to score as games progress. Um, is, it, is, it merely, is it merely lack of cattle catching up with them in terms of key players being injured? Uh, it's an interesting, interesting case study, Collingwood. If you'll indulge me for a little while, I will. I, um, there's no shame in going to Perth and losing to the Perth teams. Uh, even our our recent battles with Frio can sort of uh, attest to the fact that we that the market sort of had that game wrong a little bit, considering the players that are out. Um, in a normal year, a trip to Frio. Uh, if it's not the last week in a you know a three and a half week stay in Perth without your families, but we'll like leave the hub out of it for a minute. Frio came to the MCG last year and inspired by um, a Sonny Walters uh, charge in the last quarter, a great uh, performance from Nat Fife and Brad Hill um, beat us on our home deck. Uh, you know, in the midst of last year's form slump, which included a smashing at the hands of North Melbourne. And uh, we had some real ordinary patches last year that um, were akin to this one. Um, And so sort of, in my opinion, uh, Frio were good. They they, uh, similarly seemed to be quite happy to be back on their home deck. Uh, and we looked exhausted. And yes, we, we seemed to lack that, that, that element of class that, you know, Pendlebury um, certainly provides. I thought we were tracking really beautifully in the Geelong game. Um, Geelong are, have, it's always a tough game against Geelong and uh, to meet them over knew what would happen that night, but I thought it was a four-goal win for Collingwood that looked like an eight-goal win. Uh, all, the, yep. all the better players on the ground were Collingwood players. Grundy dominated, Dugowie kicks five, um, you know, Pendlebury, Adams... Trelaw, everyone was getting, and uh, I just thought we were setting things up beautifully. But having said that, it was a, it's a real tough challenge getting over to Perth and playing those teams at the best of times. Um, and and footballers, you know, 
I guess overall, my opinion is once you throw the hub into it as well, uh, they need to get out of Perth. Um, you know, whether it's a, a, a tennis match or a degoing uh, injury or a um, Pendlebury injury in the warm-up, uh, there's enough that's gone wrong. And um, our backs are certainly against the wall. One thing that is absolutely real is that, you know, and speaking as a Collingwood supporter here, I'm finding it increasingly difficult to stand up for Eddie Maguire. This is a, you know, for the longest time, sort of uh, strongest one-eyed Collingwood supporter out there who would defend anybody that wore the jumper to the hilt, and um, which is, I guess, tradition um, at the football supporter. You know, you defend your tribe, but um, I can't defend him anymore. Um, I, I, I'm sick of hearing him open his mouth. His timing is just awful, and he, he, it's it's constant that we're battling against him um, to the point where, in a sort of similar vibe to the Kenneth Clarkson kind of um, two bulls in a paddock thing, we we just end up distancing ourselves in some way from what Ed says, um, which is a weird. It's sort of a weird way to do things. Um, so I'm I'm having difficulty with that on field. I think we'll sort it out. Uh, tough to know where we sit overall, but I think I think we're a better team than um, what we've put out there the last couple. You know, hopefully we'll find a way to get through this next couple and then um, start to welcome a few of our stars back. Obviously, we don't get Howe back and we don't get the goey back until the finals, if at all. Um, there's, there's enough quality there and enough depth on paper to um, to make a charge at some point. And as I say, you know, um, we, we'd all written West Coast off, or largely, which just sort of goes to show the um, sensationalising that goes on in the uh, in football media because uh, we'll forget about it pretty quickly if the Pies can string a few together now against some weaker opponents and, and West Coast are absolutely flying all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, and they've got, I mean, they've got at least their next four games at home against teams who are who are swanning on through or a three, I think. I think they've already played Sydney. So, um, so I mean, I think Carlton Horse on the West and GWS are those teams. So, with GWS might be in the next bunch of games. So, it will be it'll be interesting to see how Carlton Hawthorne and then Sydney and GWS do with that uh, with how they what what through particularly. GWS because I think Sydney are probably lined through them as far as this season's concerned. Um, just to, can I just ask a question? Just just off off topic now that I've mentioned Sydney, um, and just a quick question with that: What is Sydney gaining by playing Rampy at the moment with the broken hand? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Because um, I would have thought they, at some stage, considering everything else that's going on. Um, someone like Rampy, like my hand's really sore. We're getting flogged. Um, we can't play finals. I think I'd rather just go home. He's the captain, isn't he? I mean, he might be, but I mean, I've, I mean, I've, I mean, I've seen Luke Ball destroy his, destroy his body primarily because he was the captain of the club that year. Um, literally run himself to the ground. He was never the same footballer after that 2006 season. Um, I mean, if, I understand that the hand might not get any worse or something like that, but this isn't this isn't to bring it back to Collingwood. This isn't Darren Malay in nineteen ninety. Um, <laughs> the, the Swans are cooked. Um, they've got enough injuries and things like that, and 
it might be useful to see how they go. I mean, Rampy is, you know, if you're picking a best 22 in the competition to play a game and you were picking proper positions, you would pick Dane Rampy. Um, very good player. And, and where the Saints accounted for the Swans uh, very easily, um, uh, they, they snuck a win against the Hawks the previous week when a lot of people were tipping Hawthorne. Uh, um, and Rampy was instrumental. So, you know, the Swans have, have never been a team to throw in the towel. They've never been a team to, to try and spend a long time at the bottom of the ladder. You know, from the outside looking in, I, I, we know that there are a lot of clubs who would... Um, there was that game they had. Uh, was it against the Tigers when uh, Kennedy and Heaney um, both mm. hurt themselves and like quite badly the, in a the, the six million guys in the forward line game. Yes, yeah, a, a, a really ordinary day for the Sydney Footy Club, and you could easily have packed it in at that point um, if you if you weren't Blood's culture. You know, I, I don't know. Like we, we've seen plenty of examples of it over the journey where teams just then go right, we're out of bullet. Let's get a really nice draft pick. Uh, and we'll go again next year. But thats I don't think it's ever been their way. And maybe as captain, Rampy's feeling a sense of responsibility to sort of uh, cement of that. We're not, going to, we're not going to sleep. Fair enough. I just, it's, just watching it on Saturday, I just I didn't know what they were getting out of it. And I wasn't so making, the counter you know. question, the counter question obviously is, is your take on the, the Carlisle mess who seems well, to make, exacerbate uh, and, and sort of, yeah. I want to make two really quick points. One, I didn't actually see the third quarter of that game <laughs> due, to, <laughs> due to trying to feed children at halftime in the football and a foxtail malfunction. I didn't see the third quarter of that game. Um, I'll leave it at that. Second of all, uh, before the band started, uh, Rampy was whacking Max King with that hand. So Jake Carlisle's uh, a, uh, a perennial uh, perennial contender for the the biggest empty head in the league. Um <laughs> A a the two two thousand and nineteen winner, and I think he he has multiple tr- titles in him. Is Tom Sicily a uh, James Sicily of Hawthorne, um, <laughs> a guy who a, a really good footballer who consistently can do things is just like I can't believe you did something that stupid. Um, but you know, I mean, it's the sort of thing I don't have any time for. At the best of times, what Carlisle did, but my care factor. Um, <laughs> obviously there's a hot, you know, we're having, you know, the all time amount of perspective given to things like Dane Rampey's broken hand and whether things are a bad look on the football field and like with everything else that's going on in the world. But, um, but my, my, I, I, I don't, didn't care about it as much as I, I might have if I'd seen it live and I didn't care about it as much as if, if it, Rampey hadn't have done what he did in the in the first quarter, which is at the start of the game, which was, you know, try and whack Max King in the stomach with that said hand. Looked okay then, um, but not a good look. I didn't like it when Craddy did it to Matthew Lloyd 20 years ago, and I, which was which was a, was a broken hand. It was a pre-existing condition. I mean, it's just, it, there's a difference between targeting things. A short answer turned into a long answer, Cameron. Um, there's a difference <laughs> between, there's a difference between, you know, Oh, he's got a broken rib. Let's tackle him and let's test him out. Uh, you know, Rick McCosker's got a broken jaw. Let's bowl him some short ones. Um, and actually, you know, going out of your way to do that sort of thing. I wasn't a big rap when Stephen Baker did it. 
in it just has to 2010, be but they yeah. ended up getting, you know, half a season <laughs> suspended. Yeah. So normally there's a full body's injury out when they've crossed yeah. the white line. Um, you know, we've seen a, a million examples of that. I've just never liked, um, and it is under the spotlight even further this year, as you mentioned, but I, I've never liked it if it's not, a, if it's not uh, in the field of play, really. That was just a, it was just a little bit of a dog act. Fair enough. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you. Um, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to completely zag. Uh, zag. What to your zig? Now, it's the halfway point of the season, and I'm just going to, for five minutes, completely indulge my footy nerd status. So I've got a question for you. We know that there is this this formula, this great hidden formula. Uh, called the AFL Player Ratings, which runs on the AFL website. And for the last few years, I've done a AFL Player Ratings brand line, which is a 3-2-1, exactly the same voting system, but just the three ranked players in every game. I want you to guess, give me, give me, a, give me a top three at the halfway mark of the season in the, uh, in the AFL Player Ratings brand line medal. Um, okay, and, well, I'll give you give some thick music while I give some background. Now, the AFL player ratings, it, it generally overrates Ruckman, underrates key defenders. So, in one one sense, completely like the umpires. In another sense, completely unlike the umpires. But in terms of, oh, here's a midfielder I didn't know was good. It's usually a very good barometer of someone who will sneak up on, sneak up on you on a brand, in a Brownlow count. In that case, and and knowing you, I'm gonna I'm gonna deliver the following top three. Off the top of my head. Could be yep. really wrong. Yep. Uh, I'm going to go number one, Todd Goldstein. Bing, correct. That's that's I, one from one. Toddy is leading. I feel like I had heard that in football media, though. So rather than going, gee, this bloke's good, just uh, just um, I don't need the credit for that one. Um, knowing you and feeling like this could be a little uh, saint zag, I'm going <laughs> to throw I'm going to throw Jack Steele in the mix. So let me let me let me put that into perspective. Todd Goldston is in front on fourteen votes at the moment. Yep. Okay. Uh, four best ons and uh, and a two vote. Jack Steele's on four votes. Four votes. Two seconds. Yeah. Okay. He's not the top ranked and killed a player. Interesting, because he he has managed, I think, to find a way to get a lot of coaches' votes mm. uh, and improve his rating in a number of other. Um, sort of uh, pointers to Brownlow success potentially, um, he, but not he, AFL he, ratings. Fair enough. He'll be that far in front of the St Kilda bet. He'd almost be – he would almost have to pull up lame to lose it, the St Kilda really? bet, the, the way it is this year, I, I would suggest. he's a, He'd be a long way in front. There you go. Uh, I'll, and I'll, I'll say Max Gorn. Um, oh, Max Gorn is in fourth place. In fourth place. There you go. So, All right. So give me give me the two I missed out on. Second is Patrick Cripps, who's polled four best on grounds, and I think they've all been in games Carlton have lost. Okay. No, they beat Carl they beat Geelong in round three. So he got that one, but he polled best on round one against Richmond, round five against St Kilda in this weekend against Hawthorne. You know what's interesting about the Patrick Cripps call is I think most Carlton people would say he's had a down year. And mm. what's, 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 what is making the papers is the constant attention that Paddy Cripps faces and perhaps he more than any other um, 
football player. The harassment around the contest and um, the North game was really highlighted because they were just smashing him and not looking at the, at the football at all. Um, but my own take on it, and maybe that's a, a little too framed by Supercoach scores, but I would say he's a little down on, on his very, very best. So um, Cripps's habit of polling well, doing well in AFL play ratings when Carlton lose was established last season. He did incredibly well in the first half of the season and then went away in the second half of the season as Carlton after Carlton changed coaches and started winning games. So yeah, right. Third place is Lockie Neal, who everyone thinks is going to win the actual Brownlow. So um, Collingwood's top-rated player is Taylor Adams, who polled seven votes in the first three games, hasn't polled since. And St Kilda's highest-rated player is Paddy Ryder, who polled the three votes in both games in Adelaide. So there you go. But the as I said, I think one, two, three, four... Five of the top twenty-two players are Ruckman. So, what was the what what was the zag? Uh, was it just to talk about um, just to talk about a, Brownlow contention potentially? Just to, just to talk about the player ratings because it was just we was there was no segue. Right. So. It's um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I think as we spoke about before, you know, I, I think Nat Nui. I'd be surprised if Nat Nui hadn't got himself a couple of votes based on. Uh, AFL rankings in his last couple of hit outs. Uh, yeah, well, he was best on against Geelong. It was best on against Geelong. So. There you go. Uh, and in my opinion, uh, you know, alongside uh, Josh Kennedy, who sprung to life magnificently just in time to bury us. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, he was best on against you guys. So yeah, was was arguably right up there again with, now, with minimal possessions. Now I need to give people a. Smoky. This is this is this is real. As in, if you can get him at a place at maybe seventy-five to one, worth five dollars for the Brownlow at the moment, based on the AFL player ratings and what we know about Ruckman not polling. Um, Aaron Hall of North Melbourne. <laughs> that would be a huge result. He's been in the top three players, so he's polled in five different games. So, but he has seven votes because. Goldie's been getting the threes, so. And they've lost all of them, presumably, because they, their season's gone to the dogs. Although yes. it was good last week. So let me put it this way: if you want to, if you're getting to your Brownlow multis at the end of the year, and you want to get some value in, go for Aaron Hall as your North Melbourne biggest post getter, rather than Todd Goldstein, because there will be value. Because Goldstein will be at about a dollar twenty to pull the most votes for North Melbourne players and Hall will be 7 or $8 and that's how your multi turns from a I'm putting all the favourites in and there's 12 legs and it pays $5 to it pays it's 12 legs and it pays $200 and just remember that all it should go without saying promise all predictions wrong all your money back <laughs> well the biggest the, probably the, the most thing most likely to impede Aaron Hall in his quest to pull the most votes for the Kangas is Actually, that he could easily be dropped. <laughs> what what the AFL playing is, or and maybe this is the new Aaron Hall. But at Gold Coast, the bloke could could have forty possessions and five goals, but not impact one contest defensively. So uh, that he ended up um, falling out of favour with plenty of Gold Coast uh, powers that be, and and moving on. But there was a time there where it was Gary Ablett and, and Hall. 
you know, not obviously not in the same breath, but he was their second best player. Mm. So, so if Hall, I mean, if, if if Hall if Hall is characterised as a defender, then there are three defenders in the my, the player rating Brownlow at the top thirty players. So Rampy Hall and Sam Collins of the Gold Coast. So Collins has been excellent. Mm, I'm, I'm, I'll be keeping an eye out for him on Thursday night. So uh, see who he goes to. I've, I've just lost interest in that because. Uh, in that system, I mean, not that I think Darcy Moore is going to win, going to necessarily poll a lot of Brownlow votes, but uh, he's. I think Darcy would be. Winning. I, it is. It is an ongoing experiment to see. I mean, you have any system like this, it's going to be, um, not perfect, but it is, you know, based on numbers, so it is objective. So, especially, actually, that's that's another interesting one because. There were those saying prior to Jeremy House car crash injury against the um, the GWS Giants, there were there were those saying that you know he he had played just about as influential a few weeks of footy as as anybody in the league um, had, and I'd be surprised to know, or I'd, I'd be interested to know if he'd polled votes in during that time because as a he, general defender, he polled three votes in the first game and that was it, right? Which was interesting because he was well. He was, he was, from what I can remember from the St Kilda game in round three, he was one of the two. Side bottom was clearly best on, in my estimation, watching the game. Um, and Howe was one of the next two, next couple of best players. The, uh, yeah, side bottom's got a habit of doing that at St Kilda. Yeah. In the working I think the 3 2 1 that day from the. Player rating Brownlow was three Adams, two side bottom, one Dan Butler. But I'm not, I'm not trying to find the one. This is this is good. This is good podcast. Great radio. It is, it is great radio. <laughs> <laughs> but Barney didn't mind a bit of silence either. No, Darcy Moore got the one vote that day. So there you go. Okay. He's there, which is his only vote. Um, let's move on. Well, yeah, let's yep. tag again and you get to talk about your club because there's no, no, I've got other things I want to talk about beforehand, but oh, okay. fair enough. Okay. Um, this is the question. We might, there might not be any point in doing any more podcasts if we just come up with a definitive answer to this question, but uh, two of the last three seasons, there's been a point in both seasons when Dusty's become the best player in the competition again. It's the point where Richmond started winning the Premiership. Did that happen? Has that happened already? Uh, well, He's he's put together three very good weeks. Um, I'm going to use the super coach metric again because uh, it's 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 how I it's how I manage to watch so many games because um, of my keen interest in certain <laughs> players running around. But um, you never pick Dusty Martin for round one, and I've written that rule down on my forehead so that I won't go into 2021 and pick Dusty for round one again because he he, he doesn't really care. He doesn't really care until this moment, this click moment that um, that you're referring to. Uh, and I thought I saw it a couple of weeks ago. And Supercoach was a little slow to catch up, but he was just clearly running a bit better. He'd had an issue, I think, with a rib um, earlier in the year. You know, and uh, Tigers, for the first time in a few years, actually, were dropping around him um, with Cochin missing games and uh, Hooley not going up to the hub and, you know, uh, Rewalt struggling, and you know they had they had plenty of injuries. Dion Prestia, uh, 
but you know, again, like this click moment, I don't think that they're, they're playing the best footy in the comp, but uh, when he's up and going, you, you, you got to put some time into him because uh, he, he can just crush games. They, over a, over a period of time now, they feel a little bit like Brisbane in the early 2000s. Um, yes, they were the best team the year they didn't win the flag. 2018, that was the team. They was the year they finished top, and they were, you know, pretty unassailable for most of that season. And then, and I, I, I think, I think a lot of people would say, and then they had a bad day. Um, they were taken apart by a Collingwood team who thoroughly earned that victory. I don't want to take anything away from Collingwood that day. That was a tremendous we performance. The best team. We weren't the best well, on the, team. On, like, over the course of the year, no. But that day, you thoroughly deserve the win. You've got to win finals to get to the grand final. Um, yeah, it felt, Richmond that day, I, I probably felt a little bit Geelong in 2008, but they weren't quite that dominant. Um, but they just now seem to have gotten to this habit. 2017, yeah, this time in 2017, as in, you know, the round seven, eight, nine, ten period wasn't it the period where they were losing all the games, all, all these games at the death. All the, you know, they lost th- like three out of four yes. with the last kick of the game. Yeah. Um. This time, like this time last year, if my memory says they they had a few out. You obviously lost Rance for the year, and they were just they struggled to, you know, they were just just getting by and hanging around the bottom half of the eight, and then they had the buy. Um. I think they might have come into the bye and lost to Geelong really poorly on a Friday night at the MCG. And then they played us. We played them in the form. That was that. Um, and then lose again for the rest of the season. So they, they just seem to be in this habit of, okay, we get to the halfway mark and we're fine. We're not we're not wonderful, but, you know, we're, we're in contention. And then, then, as you said, the switch gets flicked and it's normally switched by number four. And from that point on, I mean... I, I really, it's to the point where I really, I just really won't tolerate an argument of someone saying, oh, this guy's a better player in the competition. I just, no, go to bed. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's so weird, isn't it? Because normally we, we idolize that kind of consistency and the ability to do it, you know, the Nathan Buckley way and to just, to, to guarantee that the bloke will be just about the, in the best handful of players on the ground, literally every time he plays from his first game till his last game. And it's not the case with Dusty because the switch has to be flicked. And whatever he, whatever process he goes through to flick it, he, he goes through that every year. Um, you know, and, and it, it's really interesting. But, but when it comes to being able to impact on the day that he's, he's ready, yeah. It's uh, it's not close, and and look, I'm not I'm not willing to say that uh, Richmond have played anything like their best footy at this point, and I've tipped Brisbane to beat them uh, tomorrow night. Uh, I just think they've been better so far, and I still don't. Yeah, I, I I'm still not ready to call that um, that that they're going to do it again. Uh, but it's the spectre of what they were able to do last year and without Alex Rance that that means you can't go the other way and say that they definitely won't do that. Um, yeah, I, I'm not ready to call that at this point. But, uh, but yeah, I think Dusty is getting back to sort of the frightening um, phase. 
How many more years of this does he have to put together before we start talking about him as a future legend in the Hall of Fame? I feel like it's like maybe this year and a couple more. Yeah, two flags. A Brownlow. Yeah, and he, he should get himself another Brownlow. Because the 2017 year he, it was the year that he just rocked up and did it every week. Mm. Um, I think, look, he, he's mighty close. He's an absolute, he's a super player. Yeah, he's yeah. I don't, I don't. It's final siren. It's after a game. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stay away from the hyperbole right now, and we'll just wait. Sit, put him, have him put together another half a season, a body of work, and then we'll start talking about maybe post season. We'll have a, have a I'll have a decent work at a, at a ranking for where he would be amongst midfielders I've seen. But he's just, just unlike just, any. He 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 doesn't play the game like anyone else. I I feel. Yeah. I, I feel comfortable at this stage without any preparation saying he's top 10. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great call. I look forward to the list. Uh, even better than Anthony Condon. That's, that's <laughs> oh, how much on. I reckon. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, are, are Adelaide going to go winless? Well, should have come against Essendon, shouldn't it have? <sighs> they had that one. I, w- I watched a lot of that game. They had that one. That was there for the winning. And that gave you that actually that game gave me some confidence that when everything went right, they were a chance. But but then on paper, the Kangas should have been another day like that. Uh, you really didn't show up. Couple, yeah, that, at all. That that was that was as disheartening a loss as as they've had for mine because, because sixty nine points, sixty nine point loss to a team that had just lost six in a row and was one spot above the ladder. Adelaide are three games clear last. So they, I mean, it's almost they've got eight games left. They're almost, it, it's you know, mathematically, it's getting to the point where they that they've locked in and I'm going to pick. They've got Melbourne on Wednesday Wednesday night at home. Um, I'm not exact. I'm, I, and after that, they've got Collingwood, and in round twelve, they've got the Western Bulldogs on the Gold Coast. Western Bulldogs have a habit of playing down to their opposition or playing up to their opposition. Um. I'm not sure who they've got left to play after that, but they they don't play Sydney. They don't play Fremantle. They don't play North Melbourne. Um, they might have Hawthorne, you know, depending on where they play them. But I mean, geez, geez, they and I mean they're not. It's, you don't look at them and think here's a bunch of kids running around and they'll have a they'll have a day, you know, where everything clicks and it'll be wonderful and the crows. They don't look the list profile. The, the team they're putting on the park doesn't look like that at all. They've got some young guys, but you know, it doesn't look like you know their fifth oldest player on the team in any one day is twenty three. They're, yeah. they're 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 not they're not bottomed out yet. And interestingly, Michelangelo <laughs> Rucci um, in the South Australian media today basically said that the Crows fans have basically put a line through Matthew Nix already. So who of, wanted who who wants to do that job? Like what a what an awful job to walk into. There, I, I've heard some Adelaide people say that they they want someone who might inspire. Uh, a team of of plotters to run through a brick wall and to sort of to give three or four weeks in an awful season where they kind of play like North Melbourne did a little bit last year in the in the early days of reshore and just you know just run through some blokes um 
I think there's some Adelaide people crying out for that because it's fairly listless at the moment. But it would be really interesting to revisit our pre-season thoughts about Adelaide where we both had them 17th but wouldn't call it to, to send them to 18th. Um, 18th was just perennially the Gold Coast. And, you know, of course that would happen again. That was a fait accompli. It's so nice to see how quickly that club's managed to turn it around with some absolute jets who've come to the club um, with the first couple of picks there. Um, you know, and it's a shame that Matt, that Rao's not running around at the minute because he, he was sort of, uh, he was a shining light in this season. But, um, you know, that I think that should give Adelaide some hope at least because uh, nobody wanted Stewie Jew's job. The, the club was a basket case. Uh, it, it can turn around. Tom Fair Lynch, enough. Stephen May, all of that gear. You know, Bucks has a saying, it's never as bad or as good as it seems. Uh, and you just, yeah. I mean, Adelaide supporters need to hope that he's right because it looks shocking. When was the last team that didn't win a game? 1964, Fitzroy went 0 and 18. And we've had we've had uh, new franchises come into the comp. Yeah, we've we'll had, we've had GWS running around with four-year-olds who, <laughs> who managed to chalk up a win. Yeah, but this is the sort of season we're having, Cameron. No one won a game in VFL AFL for 120 years from between 1920 20. No team won a game in those 120 years kicking only one point. Then it happened twice in eight days. Kicking only one point? Yeah. Oh, I see. Then, it, yeah, as in St Kilda won, kicking 12 goals won the most accurate win in AFL history. And then Fremantle won against Collingwood kicking 10 goals won. We've had... We, didn't happen for 120 uh, years, happened twice in eight days. That's the other thing that I didn't mention in my review of Collingwood is we somehow ran up against teams that could not miss if they tried. It was extraordinary. From from Josh Kennedy kicking it from, like, the the third row. Um, uh, I mean, you, you just sort of shake your head sometimes and go, all right, well, we're meant to have a shitty couple of games here and, and fingers crossed we can clean it up after this. Um, it is one of those things. Just... Also, it's also been a team that, that have been terrible kicking the footy for such a long time. So, again, maybe we do have to speak to the, the quality of shots that they're taking, but there's just there's something in the water down there. So, uh, St Kilda, through the first three games of the season, kicked 26 goals, 23, which is an improvement for St Kilda on previous seasons. Um, perfectly, perfectly average. Um and since then, since losing to Collingwood, let me just put this in there. I'm just going to put this on. I'll need to have kicked 60, 76 goals, 35, and 11 of those behinds came on Saturday. That's wow. That's almost that's 4.4 points per scoring shot. So that is very good. It's insane. It's insane. It always reverts to the mean. That was my knock on West Coast last year is they've made finals because they kick straight. So, anyway, yeah. The Crows' problem this weekend is it is an absolute kitchen sink game for Melbourne. If they've got any backbone whatsoever, they come out breathing fire in the first five minutes and just kill the contest. Because they, 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 Simon Goodwood's got to realise that the jig is almost up. He, It's good old-fashioned 
John Northey rev up time before that game. I keep and tipping have them. Have them breathing fire. <laughs> have them breathing fire. Keep tipping them. I tipped them last week. I thought I thought Port Adelaide was sort of ripe for a loss. Uh, I thought Melbourne had shown plenty the week before. Who'd they have the week before? I think Brisbane, and they just lost. Yeah, they were great. They were great when you couldn't have them. And I thought, you know, they're, they're, I mean, they've never lacked in their ability to win the contested ball, but I just thought maybe, and with, and with Petraka sort of catching fire finally, and, um, you know, some really good players around the ball and the dominance of Max Gorn, I thought maybe they could account for Port Adelaide. They got hammered. So, you know, it was, a, it was a similarly poor performance to what Adelaide dished up against North Melbourne and, and also what Essendon this week. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's, I'm going to have to write them off myself at some point, but I've tipped them to beat Adelaide. And if, they, just, they, they feel like a team that, that could still catch fire a little bit. Um, but by the same token, we kept, I don't know why I think that, because we kept saying that about them last year. And um, and and the truth is that if you look at it on paper, that that 2018 was the anomaly and not uh, not the other way around. If this was a conventional season, um, it's one of those maxims of football that once you get through about nine rounds, the eight doesn't change much. Um, I think if this was a normal season, you'd pretty much lock in seven of the eight. It's that the Bulldogs are eighth. Essendon the ninth. Essendon have got the same number of wins as the Bulldogs have played two fewer games, but and then Collingwood a tenth. Um, with Gold Coast, Carlton, Hawthorne a game out of the eight. Carlton's best footy and, has been very good, and Collingwood's best footy is, uh, and you could make a case for for either of them. Who's sitting seventh? GWS. Yeah, so you can't see them. Um, I don't I really pull trust them either. either. No, I don't, I don't really trust them either. I mean, that's 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 another historical thing. Don't trust teams that just got absolutely flogged in the grand final. Yes, we've spoken about it. Yeah. Um. So, but Port Adelaide are eight and two, and their percentage is one hundred and forty-four. That will take. That'd be quite a quite a collapse, even for Port Adelaide. As you say, I think they're I think they're pretty safe. Yep. Yeah, it's tough to see too many sides falling out, isn't it? Even There's though, a... like from a points perspective, there, there there is you can throw a blanket over, sort of two to twelve. Um, yeah, there it does look fairly entrenched, and so suddenly there's some pressure on those teams sitting outside the eight to get their skates on. Mm. I wouldn't be too worried about Brisbane, considering their home games are going to be their away games are all going to be seventy five miles down the road. They've already yeah. played. They've played Adelaide and Port Adelaide. They've played West Coast and Fremantle. They can't go to Sydney. All the rest of their games, the rest of the year, are in Queensland. There's nowhere else where they can play. So they're going to play home games at the Gabba. It's it's what it's what John Elliott wanted when he wanted to merge Carlton with Sydney and play their home games in Carlton and all the away games in Sydney. Brisbane have managed to live the John Elliott dream. They'll play all their home games in Brisbane and all their away games at the Gold Coast. Brisbane suddenly is sitting in a spot where. They've got no excuses. We we you, last year we spoke about them arriving um, perhaps slightly ahead of time, and that a straight sets result for them in the finals perhaps wouldn't be the worst thing for that club because they weren't 
they weren't ready and that they, they might get served something terrible if they happened to run into Richmond, you know, on prelim final day or something like that. It, they, they, they had done enough this year to get a, to get an A plus and they could move forward. Uh, we can't, we won't allow them that this year. <clears throat> that on, on paper, that's a really good football team. The premier uh, midfielder in the comp, obviously not um, by the metrics that include Dusty Martin, but um, Lockie Neal's running around and, and kind of almost gets a free pass because the, the guys around him, there's so much quality there too. Um, McCluggage, he gets a lot of help from um, Mitch Robinson and, uh, and then, yeah, like it's, it's a genuinely good midfield. And then, uh, Zorko obviously uh, is that kind of goal kicking uh, midfielder as well, and then behind the ball is, is an absolute star, and is another one who I could probably squeeze into my top thirty in the AFL, no matter what the ratings kind of say. And again, just you know, with Brizzy, the biggest question mark, um, despite the fact that they have a genuine superstar in a forward pocket in Charlie Cameron, is can you trust? Uh, the 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 key movers in their forward line, the, the big boys, uh, you know, and that that's what we wondered last year. And that they sort of, they haven't really taken the next step, despite the fact that Brisbane looked pretty consistent and it's very hard to beat. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I think Port Adelaide are on top. They're going to play finals. I think Brisbane are second. They're going to play finals. If you will, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to now talk about the team that's currently third on the lap. And, now, allow me a, a, a tangential indulgence. Go for it, Sam. Do, uh, do St. Kilda, are St. Kilda the team in the league with the most distinctive style of play? Are they the one with the most recognisable brand of play at the moment in terms of how they how they play footy? So tell me about that brand. Well, the brand is, and this is, you know, it's it's it might not be actually true, but it's certainly true according to the mainstream media is that St Kilda are the, the quick team that kicks goals. The team that moves the ball from the back line to the forward line quickly, moves it not along the boundary line, but towards the centre corridor, moves it quickly to their forwards. Um, the forwards either mark it or bring it to ground, and then we've got these great small forwards who crumb it and kick goals as well. And if they don't, if the ball gets turned over um, in, the, in our forward line, our small forwards are also great tacklers. Yeah, I mean, I, I see that. I see yep. that week in, week out for the most part. Um, the most distinctive style, I could argue that there's a couple of teams that that, uh, that that do tend to play and have sort of stamped the way that they play over a couple of years from Richmond and through West Coast. But um, they, I, I would, whether it's the most sort of uh, recognisable brand in the comp or not, it's, it's a lot of fun. Mm. You know, like the, the two teams that I have enjoyed watching most, well, probably three, actually. I'm going to put three in this category. And um, two are sitting outside the eight uh, and one is sitting third on the ladder. And the other two are Carlton and Gold Coast. And I think at their best, they both play pretty exciting footy as well. And I just hope, I, I hope against hope that it's teams like this that take the game on, um, that move the ball really beautifully, um, that start to win big games. Um, because ultimately it'll count for nothing if the the sort of teams that are really fun to watch and really great when they play each other get
get to the finals and get squashed by teams who just have really great defensive structures. And St Kilda's worst performance of the year um, coincided with Collingwood's best, but that was a that was a a game where our defensive structure took care of your ball movement a little bit. So I don't know. I I, I I'm hoping that it's that we start to see a transition to teams that play exciting footy winning more games than they lose. And mm. the Saints are sort of carrying the banner for that because um, Gold Coast have hit a little bit of a wall. Um, Carlton uh, can equally um, break their fans' hearts as they can, you know, ignite um, from one week to the next. So, yeah, I think the Saints are going to be everybody's favourite team uh, a little bit. So the reason why I asked that question is not to, you know, go over how good is Zach Jones, Dan Butler or whoever, um, or or to... Uh, necessarily reminisce or just luxuriate in the style of football. Um, I just wanted to ask, is having a style which is becoming distinctive and um, successful through this particular part of the season with the short breaks more of an advantage because teams will just not have, and because teams, because of the short breaks, but also when they go back to the seven-day breaks, the inability to train as they would normally do, um, where they can't do the sort of work they would do structurally, does that mean that suddenly you've got a team that, that plays like St Kilda and they start winning? It'll be a, you're not going to run into a situation where the Bulldogs, what the Bulldogs did to Essendon in 2000, or it's less likely because they just don't have the time to prepare. You know, they don't have the time to. We're going to install a game plan for this week. You know, Terry Wallace yes. against Adelaide in 06. Okay. You, you, Joel Bowden kicked to Patrick Bowden. Patrick Bowden kicked to Matthew Bowden. Matthew Bowden kicked it to Trent Bowden. You know, and we'll just we'll just do that for four quarters. I'll put all of you on my super coach team, and we might win the game. Um, teams just don't, you know, they're not allowed to coach like that this year. And even if they did, they wouldn't have the time to implement a plan like that. You know, the Gold Coast played was I, I, when did they play last week? Um, uh, they, they played, played on early. the Sunday. They played on Sunday oh. afternoon. Yes, and they've got Monday, right. Tuesday, Wednesday to, prefer, yeah. to prepare for a game against the St Kilda on Thursday night. So, you know, have they got the time to, you know, other than, you know, hey, Sam Day, make sure, you know, watch some film of Ben's twin brother this week. Um, that sort of thing. Um, look, it's a point well made. Uh, I'm probably more of the opinion that... Um, like finals footy, it'll, I think it'll be a nice way for the Saints to chalk wins against teams that are inferior to them. Um, and and that sets you up beautifully, not to mention how uh, a club like St Kilda can just use a little bit of momentum um, and use some happy feelings and some just wi- like winning culture uh, is just excellent for that footy club. Uh, the, the counter argument is just that finals footy is is kind of oil meets water type of thing. You just have teams that, that play different ways to one another. Um, and, you know, can a West Coast slow St Kilda down um, and and bring the game onto their, you know, in their terms? Mm. Uh, and and the, the, we don't know is the easiest answer, but um, in, a, in a similar fashion to uh, the reason I can't say 
like definitively yes is just because the saints have come from the clouds a little bit uh, which has to be hugely exciting for a Saints supporter but um, as a neutral I just kind of go this is a great way to chalk up wins through the home and away season and and good luck to them um, you wonder whether a, a tried and true um, defensive brand might might uh, fair enough fair enough I just I'd don't like... know we we in we'd like I'd like to see us play in a final, but you know that 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 yeah. that expectation has been even tempered in itself because you know six months ago that would have been I want to see us play in a final so I can go. Um, exactly. Anyway, we've done it. We've done the final sign. We've talked about it. We've analysed it, and now Daniel Andrews is telling us that we're past curfew. We can't be podcasting at eleven o'clock at night. So. We have to call it a day. Cameron, thanks very much. We'll do this again, hopefully, before the finals. Yeah, we've got to open up the lines, don't we? We'll open up the lines. We'll be a break. We'll open up the lines. <laughs> the temptation to do some fake talk back, I like, could have been champions. I nearly, I nearly launched in. I nearly launched in. <laughs> I was always going to get stuck with you talking to Tony. Um, <laughs> um, have you got <laughs> <laughs> you, it is almost bedtime so John have you got any thoughts for the uh, children of Australia as they're about to go to sleep on their bed of nails no I haven't no <laughs> <laughs> there, there's about three people in the entire world who get that, that reference um, luckily we've got and, three listeners haven't we and if you've listened through the full 75 minutes of this then you deserve that easter egg at the end <laughs> Karen, it is always a pleasure stay safe and we will talk to you next time Good on you, Punner. Until then, no more, no two to lose this time at the end of how it should be. It should go with that same podcast. I'm Andrew Lewis. We will catch you next time. Cheers.